0: This is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, he came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea.
1: Live out the kingdom of heaven now. Live out the kingdom of heaven now. That was a phrase that Ryan Vincent 4 weeks ago said during his sermon. Down towards the end of his sermon I don't know if it was like a throwaway phrase, but it stuck with me and it's stuck with me for the last four weeks. Live out the kingdom of heaven now. Like a splinter stuck in my brain, that phrase keeps coming up time and time again. To me, that phrase really it encapsulates this whole study that we've been doing over the book of Acts. It encapsulates the immediacy and the urgency that we find in each one of the stories in Acts. Live out the kingdom of heaven now. That's what the apostles were thinking after they're marked by the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, this is what, it's not a future event, this is what we need to be doing now. We need to be telling everybody about Jesus. That's why they're doing crazy stuff Like Philip, he's running after a chariot to tell some random person about Jesus. Live out the kingdom of heaven now. That's going to be our phrase. It's going to be our theme for today. It's been my theme for the last couple of weeks as I've been doing my own personal study of Scripture. As Brady said, I'm Jake Moore, and uh, I'm a member here at Sunnybrook. And a former missionary to Ethiopia. Uh, my family served in Ethiopia with Christian Missionary Fellowship International, CMF, for over 11 years. We were church planners there. We worked with an unreached tribal group called the Gumuz People. While we were there, we ran a bush clinic. So we didn't live in the capital city. We lived 12 hours out of the city. We lived way out in the countryside And out in that area, there's no infrastructure at all. So uh, limited schools and definitely no medical care and even more importantly, no churches. And so we were there as church planners, starting churches among the Gumus people, but also simultaneously running a a bush clinic. So we had a health project that we had going on. And we started 10 different churches in 10 different villages uh, among this tribal people. About a year and a half ago, uh, we moved back we moved back to the United States. We had been doing not just church planning but leadership development because our goal was that the churches would get started and that as building up these young leaders, training them to take over to the church, eventually we hoped they would be in charge and that's actually kind of what happened. All The reason that we came back, it's kind of a layered reasoning, but the prominent reason was that not only was the church started, it was able to continue because these young guys now were ready to take the reins of the church, to run on their own, and they really didn't need uh, Mr. Jake around any longer uh, to, to preach and teach. They were ready to do this without us. And so we moved back to the United States. We moved back about a year and a half ago. My family, Aaron, uh, Aiden, Gwenny, and Shay, uh, we all moved back uh, to the United States but we had the opportunity over Thanksgiving break to actually go back and visit uh, Ethiopia. It was pretty exciting for us, uh, having been gone for over a year and a half, to go back and see how are things going? Uh, What's the church like there I had the opportunity, uh, because leadership development was something that I really held uh, as a key to church planting work, to go and do some training sessions with uh, church leaders there. And then we also uh, had the opportunity, I got to preach at one of our church plants, our main key church plant in the the village called Yom. During my training session with these church leaders, about 60 guys, I started sharing about you guys, actually. I was sharing about Sunnybrook, about this church that has been like a family to us, has been a family to us in our ministry over the last 12 plus years. You guys have taken care of us in lots of ways. Most importantly, you have come alongside of us in our ministry in Ethiopia, supporting us and helping us in this work of starting churches, of being the first churches among the Gumus people. And so to me, it was uh, kind of a celebration of what you guys have been doing, and then sharing with them the things you continue to do, like here on the blue signs, here in the Stillwater community, but then all around the world, in West Africa, throughout Asia and Central and South America, Sunnybrook is doing some amazing stuff. And so I wanted the guys uh, there in Ethiopia to know about that. And they were so stoked about it that they actually, one of the guys told me, would it be possible for us to give a wulfuram salamta to all of the, uh, the believers in, in Ethe, in, uh, at Sunnybrook? And I was like, yeah, totally. And they were like, so a wulfuram salamta means a big, fat greeting. They wanted to say, hey, and they, you know, a big, fat greeting. You know, that's a good thing. You, know, you want to say, hey, what's up? So uh, I got a video here, a video clip of them wanting to greet you guys. Oh, There is audio. They're saying, hi, Sunnybrook, I swear. (laughs) Yeah, so that's them. There's 60 guys who were together. They wanted to give you that big fat greeting because they wanted to essentially say thank you for being a part of them knowing who Jesus was and is. They wouldn't be believers if you guys hadn't partnered with our family to do the work that we did in Ethiopia. Yes, God in his providence would have made a way for them. But they were the outsiders, just like the story that we're learning about today. Like the eunuch, they were on the outside of the gospel. But God used my family and other families with CMF to run after them. And you guys, you guys supported us in that effort. And so I'm grateful for who you are. And I know they're grateful for you all as well. In that training session, like I said, Ryan's phrase, thank you, Ryan, it's stuck in my brain, and so it kept coming up, even in my training session with these guys, live out the kingdom of heaven now. It was the theme for my session with them, and so I thought it was only fitting to actually record that too. Um, Aaron told me I shouldn't do this, so I'm not going to do it, but I like to do a call and response. Having worked in in the East African context for a long time, I, I often like to get some interaction uh, more, not just talk, but actually get you guys talking too. Um, but since you guys probably aren't going to talk back to me, I thought I would video uh, them talking instead. So this is the believers uh, that were a part of that session um, saying, live out the kingdom of heaven now in the national language of Ethiopia, Amharic. Ahun, be ye exabir No. Ahun, be ye No. Ahun, be ye No. Ahun, be ye No. Ahun be exabier Nuru. Ahun be exabier Nuru. Live out the kingdom of heaven now. Live with urgency to tell other people about Jesus. That's what the study of Acts is all about. That's Jesus plainly spoken. He wants us to live with this urgency that is that is just like dripping from the pages when we read stories like this one today from Acts. A, a few years ago, uh, I did this, a study on the book of Acts with these church leaders. We took a number of months to walk through this study. And not only did they love the study as a part of the training, they loved the stories of the book of Acts. I think they loved it because there was so much action involved. There's a guy running after a chariot. And not only is he running after a chariot, the person he talks to places his faith in Christ, gets baptized, and then he disappears. He's teleported to another place. I mean, who doesn't love a story like that? That's crazy. That's interesting. That's amazing. But I think what the Gumus people loved most about these stories that we studied in Acts is that they were seeing how the early church was acting and for them as the early church, as the first churches among the gumus, they were learning how they should be. Who should we be as Jesus followers? What what examples did they have? They had me and then they had scripture. And as cool as I might be, I think the stories that they found in Acts were a little bit better. And so as they started studying Acts, as they started reading these stories, they were like, okay, this is what we're seeing and so we need to reflect this in our own lives. We need to be like these apostles that we're studying about in Acts today, now. We need to be living like these guys now. So for them, what does the the fellowship of believers look like? Well, in Acts 2, You hear a lot about what the fellowship of believers looked like. And so they started acting like the apostles did in Acts 2. How do you preach without fear? Well, Peter did in Acts 3 and 4. Maybe that's the way I should start preaching and teaching and sharing this gospel of Jesus with people. How do you handle finances and lying as a church? Well, there's, some pretty, there's a pretty uh, poignant story there in Acts chapter 5 that maybe we need to use as a warning. These were the ways that they were thinking about Scripture and seeing that this is how we need to start living it out. And then on into Acts 7, what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks that they saw that Stephen was persecuted for the gospel. That because of his message, because of his love for Jesus, he actually died. And so the believers among the gumus, they started seeing that you can't have kingdom without cross. You can't know the joy of the gospel without also knowing some aspect of suffering. And then now here in this story, in Acts 8, we find them seeing how they should act when it comes to the urgency that each one of us needs to have in sharing the gospel with others. We need to run. We need to pursue. We need to listen to what's going on in other people's lives and speak Jesus into that situation. You know, I know you guys are probably like me. You probably love a good story. But I think we oftentimes forget the power Of a good story. A good story, this story, like in Acts, it can be transformative. It can change the way that we think about our life and the people around us. But for the Gumus people, it's a totally normal thing to be transformed, to change the way they think from hearing a new story. I was always amazed by it, but we didn't have a scripture, we didn't have a book in the Gumu's language for the majority of our ministry. We were there for over 11 years. The majority of our ministry, the Gumu's people don't have a Bible in their own language. So when we did evangelism and discipleship, we actually had to share scripture in story form. That was appropriate in the cultural context. We would gather together, me and some of the evangelists, and we would go to a village early in the morning because they're all farmers. They're gonna take off by eight o'clock. They're gonna head to their fields. So we would go and try to gather people together outside of their huts or under a tree and sit and share with them a story from scripture. We didn't have a text to go back and reference. We didn't have a text that we could put up on a screen for them. They just had to hear the story and time and time and time again. The amazing thing to me is that they actually responded in faith to these stories. There's power in the scripture. God's moving and teaching us through this, but he's also just moving through the story itself, and I think we forget that a lot of times. I think we forget that. Uh, There's a quote here I I came across a couple weeks ago. People become the stories that they love to tell. This is something a biblical scholar uh, in a book I was reading wrote out. People become the stories that they love to tell. The Gumus guys were telling these stories to one another, and it's what spurred them on to start acting like the church in Acts. They started walking to other villages. They started sharing the gospel uh, with people in their community. Uh, Yomp, the village that we lived in, was kind of known as like the murder, murder capital of the county. Before we moved there, People were walking around with bows and arrows, uh, with guns. They were doing revenge killings. They were kidnapping women and forcing them into marriage. It was a really, really rough place and very resistant to Jesus, very resistant to the gospel. But seven years later, and even in this trip going back this time, it was amazing to see That Jesus, this story of Jesus had transformed that place. It was amazing to see young men and women, old men and old women, who didn't ever even want to darken the door of church, now in church, worshiping and leading. Before we left Ethiopia the first time, before we moved back to the States, I actually had a meeting with a government official over the county, and the guy was like, I don't know what you did did you pay people off like why are people acting better than they were before before they were killing each other all the time we wouldn't go down to yomp from the county offices without armed guards we had to have protection we had to have machine guns with us and now when we go down there these gumas guys they're walking around with their bibles and they're singing about jesus as they're walking down the trail they're like what is that what did you do And I said, it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with Jesus. It had to do with this transformative story. They started to become the stories that they were telling one another. And I think the challenge for us is when we read, when we read scripture, a lot of times, it kind of starts washing over us. Or When we hear Jim preach every Sunday, it becomes kind of this thing that we do, we check off, on the list, and it doesn't become transformative. But my challenge to you today is that you need to start telling the story to yourself. Because when we start telling this type of story to one another, to ourselves, we start to become like these stories. We start living with a different kind of urgency about life and about the people around us. I was thinking a little bit in, in preparing for this sermon, like, what would be a story that would inspire us today to want to start, like what would be an equivalent to this Philip chasing a chariot story? And the only thing I could think of was maybe a Walmart story. So like me going to Walmart, I'm going to get an amazing present for Aaron at Walmart because that's the best place to get presents, right? For your wife, right? No? Yes? No? Yeah? Maybe? Maybe? Uh, you know, I don't know what you'd get there, but I know that I'm gonna go get Aaron a President of Walmart. So I go to Walmart, I'm in the parking lot, and I start walking in, and as I'm walking in, a car passes by. I see this random dude, I don't know, in the car, but I hear Jim's voice and the Sunnybrook staff, their, their podcast, uh, Consider This, is playing on this guy's radio, and I hear Jim's voice or I hear Justin's voice as I'm passing by and as he's passing by me. And I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's funny. Instead of, huh, instead of like being interested, that, oh, that, what a coincidence, I heard that podcast or oh yeah, that's Jim. I decide, wait, wait a second, I need to find out if this guy even knows what these guys are talking about on the podcast. So instead of letting the car pass, I start running after it, and I start running after it, and the guy that's driving the car notices there's a guy coming alongside of it, He's like, and instead of speeding up and trying to get away, he thinks, oh, this guy must want something, there must be something going on, and so he stops, he rolls down the window, and I, I, he says, yeah, what's going on? And I say, oh, well, uh, Merry Christmas, and uh, hey, do you happen to know what you're listening to? Are you familiar with this podcast? And that conversation leads to an opportunity for me to share about who this Jesus is. That's a crazy story. I didn't actually do it, though I wish I had, because that would have been fun to share with you guys today. But I know that if I had really done that, if that had been something like that Philip had done, that I had really done, some of you would think, oh man, Jake's crazy. Jake's crazy. He's so crazy. I I would never do something like that. But there are one or two of you that would tell that story to one another, and you would also think, if Jake is crazy enough to do that, to run after somebody's car in the Walmart parking lot, maybe I should do the same thing. And I think that kind of mentality, that way of approaching these stories needs to be our mentality. I think it's the, it's the mentality that Gumu's believers have. When they read the book of Acts, when they read Acts chapter 8, they're like, this is what Philip did. He ran after an Ethiopian guy. I guess I better do the same thing. I, I actually think our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia are a little bit closer to what the ancient church, what the early church were were like. When they interacted with these stories of scripture, it pushed them to action. The early church was talking about Philip. You know, I imagine them gathering on a Sunday morning and sharing this story about a guy they maybe even knew, Philip. Did did you know the story about Philip? Did you ever hear that one about how he ran after this Ethiopian guy? Yeah, an Ethiopian, not a Jew, an Ethiopian placed his faith in Christ because Philip ran after his chariot. And it inspired them. It inspired one another. It inspires Gumu's Gumu's believers. And my challenge for us this morning is that it would challenge, that it would inspire us to act, that it would inspire us to live out the kingdom of heaven now. One thing that I did uh, in Ethiopia whenever we did storytelling is I, I would always say, Here's a story that I want to tell you. Uh, and, and, in, and with this story, here are a couple of questions that I want you to be thinking about. So we, you know, share the story of Jesus, uh, and, you know, walking on water, or Jesus uh, in the, the Gardeniac, you know, the guy that's demon-possessed, and, and we would often ask them uh, a series of questions in light of what they heard. And I think it's important for us today to do the same thing with this story from Acts chapter eight, verse 26. And I think what the questions we need to be asking, I think, should be, who is Jesus for? How can they know about Jesus and what's preventing us from acting now? Who is Jesus for? How can they know about Jesus and what's preventing us from acting now? Who is Jesus for? When we reflect uh, kind of, on this idea of who Jesus is for, this idea that we see uh, Philip acting out with the Ethiopian, it actually harkens back to what Jesus' original plan was in Acts chapter one. We don't have it to post up here on the screen, but if some of y'all wanna grab your Bibles, we're gonna look real quick at Acts chapter one, verses six through eight. It's It's a passage that we read months ago, so it might not be familiar to you, Acts chapter one, verses six through eight. It's talking about this idea of the kingdom. So Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he's with the believers, he's with the disciples in those days before he ascends to heaven. And he says this to, to the disciples. They ask him first. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You have to imagine maybe Jesus laughed, but he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And here's our key. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right here, Jesus lays out kind of the plan for how the gospel is gonna progress throughout that region and to the ends of the earth. And what's interesting is we see this matched in the way that the book of Acts is laid out. The Holy Spirit comes upon the the disciples in Acts 2. And up until chapter seven, they're in and around Jerusalem and Judea. So Jesus said, you're gonna get the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea. And sadly, after the persecution and murder of Stephen, they start moving out to Samaria. So that's that next layer of the gospel moving forth. Through persecution, they're going to Samaria now. And it finally, what we saw in Acts 1:8 starts being fulfilled in Acts 8:26 with the ends of the earth. Philip gets to interact with an Ethiopian, the first person. From the ends of the earth to hear about this Jesus Ethiopians uh, were not listed as some of the people who got to hear the gospel in their own language uh, in the Pentecost account that we find in chapter two do you remember the disciples everybody claims they're they're all drunk uh, drunk as the skunks uh, that, that morning and they're like no it's only nine in the morning I swear we haven't been partying all night they, they're like no These these people are truly marked by the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in different languages, but Ethiopians are not in that list, if you go back and and look at it. Ethiopians were the outsiders. They were the people from sub-Saharan Africa. They didn't, Egyptians look very similar to the people that lived in Israel at the time. Ethiopians don't. Ethnically, they're separated, they're different. The other thing that's interesting, though, is about this person that Philip interacts with, the Ethiopian eunuch. This guy has a physical abnormality that has set him apart. He's hungry to know more about God, so he's made a religious pilgrimage. He's traveled hundreds of miles from Ethiopia all the way up to Israel. He knows that there are answers there. He's seeking God, but because of his ethnicity, as well as this physical abnormality, he's actually not allowed to participate in the worship ceremonies that happened at the temple. Can you imagine that? Traveling hundreds of miles to only be told, sorry, you can't come in. Yeah, I know that you want to know more about God, but this isn't for you. You don't look quite right. There's something about you that doesn't belong. And so, within the Jewish religious framework, he was not allowed to come and actually worship, though he had been on pilgrimage. But Philip, Philip is called by the Spirit to run out after this chariot. He doesn't actually know who's in the chariot, at least we don't get any indication from the story. But he runs after the chariot. And he probably had to have been surprised to hear an Ethiopian reading from the book of Isaiah, but Philip doesn't hesitate. Philip realizes, who is Jesus for? Jesus is for everyone, even for this outsider. And so he stops, and he shares with them about who Jesus is. Now the Ethiopian uh, you you guys might like be like me when it comes to like history stuff I don't know some of you might be like well this is we're getting ready to geek out a little bit but Ethiopia has this church the Ethiopian Orthodox Church kind of like uh, the Greek Orthodox Church Russian Orthodox Church has a very uh, long and rich history they actually claim the church is still around today but they actually claim to be connected to the early church through this story in Acts chapter 8. They say, this is our story. Our church started then, 2,000 years ago, when this guy, Philip, shared this story with this high-ranking government official from our country. This is our story. Now, historians claim "Uh, that's probably not quite true. They're like, uh, you know, if you watch, like, the History Channel, Lost Kingdoms of Africa, um, or... Uh, some special on Ethiopia, they'd probably say, oh, it was actually some Syrian monks uh, in the fourth century that traveled down from Syria to Ethiopia, and that's when the church was established. But what's crazy to me is, even if that's the case, so it's not 2,000 years, it's 1,500 years ago, the church was established in Ethiopia. That is a ridiculously long time ago. But at some point, though they claim that this is their story, this story in Acts 8 for the outsider, that Jesus is for everyone, they, at some point they started to not listen to that story, to not understand that this story is for everyone. They started to think this story is only about us. There's a picture here. This is is a church in Ethiopia. Ethiopia has the oldest church in sub-Saharan Africa. So that's everything like south of Egypt in the Saharan desert. This church right here, archaeologists have dated it to have been built in 537 AD. 537, so 1,500 years ago approximately someone started this church, and they still gather and worship in it. But the crazy thing is, is that this church, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, is only made up of about a quarter or less of the population of Ethiopia. Only four tribes in Ethiopia out of 80 actually are a part of this Ethiopian Orthodox Church, this church that's been around for 1,500 years. This church here that was built in 537, it's not just unique because it was built in 537, it's on top of a cliff. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's it's beautiful, looks like someplace in Utah. But this church, built in 537, is up on this bluff. But it's not just up on this bluff. The only way to get up on top of the cliff is not by staircase, it's not by road you have to climb a rope in order to get up there. Three stories up just to get to the level where you can actually go and access this church. 537 BC, church is started. They decide, no, we need to put it on top of a cliff and we need to make sure that no one else can get to it so we're gonna only make it accessible by rope. To me, that's analogous to the fact that for them, at some point they decided, though we were outsiders, we were welcomed into the family of Jesus, Jesus is now only for us. We're gonna keep Jesus up here, out of reach. He's, he's for our people, for our tribe, and not for the others. Whatever you have, that, that stays down there. Jesus is ours. And I can't help but wonder, 1,500 years from now, what would people say about us in the 21st century American church? Where did we tribalize the gospel? It, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, where have we tribalized the gospel? Who did we determine that Jesus was for? Is Jesus truly for everyone? Or do, are we deciding that Jesus is only for us? who is Jesus for? The answer in the story for Philip was everyone. And I take this as a warning, though it was really cool to go and do and see, and you should go do it. It's really neat. You should go check it out. But as cool as this is, it's also a warning sign to us as a church of how not to be. 1,500 years from now, we want people to say, yes, Sunnybrook was about Jesus being for everyone. Amen? Yeah. So, how can they know about Jesus? If Jesus is for everyone, how can they know? If we're going to go to this idea of Jesus plainly spoken, probably the most basic way we can think about that is to follow Philip's example here in Acts, in Acts 8. This is something that I did with the with the believers in Yom, uh, I would often say, what, literally, what do you see the believers doing in this story? So what do we see Philip doing? We see Philip pursue the Ethiopian. We see Philip listen to the Ethiopian. We see Philip ask the Ethiopian about, what, what do you think about this? We see Philip using scripture to answer the questions, and always, always, always Philip guides him back to Jesus. And I think that we can follow that same model. How can people around us know about Jesus if we do those five things? Let's pursue the people around us, but then let's listen to actually what's going on in their life. Don't come with your agenda Listen to what's going on in there because I think you'll get a clue into what God's doing in their life. This man, this Ethiopian was pursuing God. He wanted to know more, but people had their own agenda and he was left out. When Philip listened, suddenly he had the opportunity. He had an open door to share about Jesus. So pursue, listen, then ask. What's God doing? What are you learning? What are you seeing from this? Use scripture You might not be a scholar like Jim or Ryan, but you can still use scripture to speak truth into someone's life, love into someone's life, and then always, always, always take it back to Jesus. Keep it focused on Jesus, on what he's done in your life and what he can do, how he can transform their life. Um. When, when Jim and the Sunnybrook team in, back in 2011 came, uh, they had the opportunity to see kind of what this idea of a sheep to slaughter, that this passage that the Ethiopians reading in Isaiah 53, that he was like a sheep to slaughter, um, and silent before, before the shearers. Um, they, had, they got a glimpse of this. So Jim, Joe Ogle, David Pitts, Ryan Smith, Randy Blake, uh, they came over, they did some different work projects with us, um, and some of the believers that were there wanted to honor them as guests, and they wanted to have this little feast. And so they, they bought an animal for them. And this is a cultural practice that happens all the time. Uh, they, they wanted to buy a sheep or an ox, a, a chicken or a goat, slaughter it before them, and then later pre- prepare this meal for them. Now, when you, uh, having lived in Ethiopia for 11 years, I've seen a lot of animals slaughtered uh, just with a really sharp knife. And so <laughs> I've seen a guy take down a 400-pound ox. I mean, truly, it's an amazing thing to see a guy do that with a knife. Um, I've seen goats and chickens be slaughtered as well for a meal. And they always put up a fight. They're, they're, they're not, they don't want to die. But a sheep, a sheep Is calm before the slaughter. It is at peace before the slaughter. So for me, this this story always comes home. I I can understand what the scripture is talking about. So when these guys came to visit, I thought, yeah, this is gonna be pretty cool. This will be a cool cultural opportunity for them to see something that the church, these believers do. (laughs) And so we go over to the, the clinic where they're gonna slaughter the animal. And unfortunately, it wasn't a sheep it was a goat, and so the goat is going crazy on the end of the rope, like as they're holding it, and he's like, ah, going going nuts, and they're like, they, they wanna make sure that they see, kind of like a blessing, yeah, here's the goat that we got for you, you know, thank you for coming, and so, they, you know, I was thinking, these guys probably think this is a pretty cool cultural thing, and then they get the sharp knife out, and they proceed to slit the goat's throat, and the goat is going crazy, Bleeding everywhere and screaming like crazy. And I realize as I'm watching this, I'm seeing it through, like Jim's got his iPhone, he's filming it. I'm like, I was seeing it through their eyes and I realized this isn't a cool cultural thing. This is like a horror film. <laughs> like blood everywhere. Okay, baby, this is a bit too much. This is a bit, because really, goats don't die peacefully. So I... I wasn't surprised then later that night that no one had an appetite to eat the feast when it was finally ready. Uh, Jim, out of, out of kindness of his heart, walked over with me and, and ate a little bit. You'll have to ask him if he liked it. But you can, see, you can see why this Ethiopian eunuch in this story is intrigued by this person. Like this guy, he's slaughtered, he's killed, and he doesn't put up a fight. All of us want to put up a fight. If somebody's coming at us, we're going to fight. We're going to be like the ox. We're going to be like the goat. We're even going to be like the crazy chicken flapping around. We're going to put up a fight. We don't want to be killed. But for some reason, when the prophet's talking about this guy, he chooses to be like the lamb, quiet, silent before it. It's an open door for Philip to share about who Jesus is. And I think what we're missing right now is that we're in the season of an open door to sharing the gospel with the people around us. Advent, Christmas, this is our holiday. This is the church's holiday, but I think we forget it a lot of times. We have the opportunity to use this as an open door, just as Philip had as an open door with Isaiah 53, to share with people about Jesus Christ, about how we've been transformed by the gospel. You can pursue others, listen to them, but also then finally share with them who Jesus is during this Advent time. This is called, uh, the the second Sunday of Advent is often referred to as the preparation Sunday or prepare the way. You'll find passages that talk uh, in a lot of other traditional churches about John the Baptist preparing a way in the desert. Or, or the, you'll have Old Testament for, uh, readings from Isaiah uh, about preparing a way, making a way for Jesus, making it to where people will notice that the Messiah has come, that Emmanuel is with us. And that's what Jesus is asking of us. He's asking us to prepare the way, to run after the outsider, to run after the people around us, just like Philip did. And let them know who Jesus is. Prepare the way. But what's preventing us from acting? The Ethiopian was asking that. That was his question. And I think it needs to be our question too as we reflect on the way that we act in the community. I think a lot of us, I know I'm guilty of this, I act a certain way in church, I think a certain way in church, but when I'm in the community... When I'm at Walmart in the parking lot, I'm not running after the cars. But maybe we need to think like the Ethiopian, what's preventing us from acting in these ways? What's preventing us from responding in such a way that people notice there's something different about us? What's preventing us? I think that a lot of times what's preventing us is actually our own way of thinking about other people I think a lot of times we're the limiting factor. We think, oh, they don't want to hear about Jesus right now. Or I don't really want to get into a faith conversation with them about that. But time and time again, I'm surprised that when I bring up what's going on in somebody's life, particularly with the non-believer, they're totally happy to have the dialogue. They want to talk. I need to, we need to start recognizing, I need to start recognizing that. God's doing something in their life, just like he was with the Ethiopian. He's doing something in their life. And God wants to use me to, tr- to help transform who they are and how they think about the world around them. How can they know? If we stop preventing ourselves, we can help them know who Jesus is. And during this Advent season, we have the opportunity to share with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, even with strangers about who Jesus is. The story of Philip is really a crazy one. We meet him in chapter six, chapter seven, uh, Stephen's killed, and then we see him running off to, Sam- we see Philip going to Samaria, he's working with the Samarians, and then he has this opportunity to do ministry with the Ethiopian, and then here at the end of the story, then it's, it's done. He teleports to another place, and he's going to do ministry, but we don't ever hear whatever happened to this guy. There might be some church legends, but really, from scripture, we have no idea whatever happened to Philip. And instead of it like a weird way to end a story about a person who has some pretty amazing encounters, I think it's actually more like an invitation to us to take part in the same type of work, to live out the kingdom of heaven now. Philip was doing it. He's running. We need to do the same. The story is left open-ended for Philip at the end of the book of Acts. It's kind of left open-ended too after Acts 28 it seems like scripture is saying to you and to me, now it's your turn. It's your turn to take up the story, to run after the outsider and to tell them about Jesus. Again, this is the second Sunday of Advent and a traditional uh, passage that is read uh, on this second Sunday is from Romans 15. Uh, it'd be great if later you go and read Romans 15, four through 13. But for me and for us today, this prayer that I'm gonna be praying over you guys th- this week is just Romans 15, 13. It's here in the uh, uh, ESV. I kind of like the, uh, I know this is heretical. I kind of like the way it sounds in the NIV. <laughs> um, so let me read this over you because this is my prayer for you guys. May the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Live out the kingdom of heaven now. This week, seek to live out the kingdom of heaven now and allow this hope that you have from the Holy Spirit to overflow into every interaction that you have with people. You have the opportunity to run, to pursue them, and to share with them. And the thing is, is we need to just trust God with that. That's what, that's what he's, he's asking us to do. That's what Paul is urging the believers in Rome to do, is trust God, believe God, that God is going to do something in and through you and out of the overflow of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We love you guys, and God bless you. And now we're gonna enter into a corporate time of prayer.